With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams. This is nothing but the truthful mystery to find it. It is December the 3rd, 2015. The first recording I've done for the month. Later on today, uh, <laughs> In about what sixteen hours, having a conversation with uh, Jonathan, uh, his uh, YouTube channel is called the Morgel. That's T H E M O R G I L E. Very interesting stuff. <clears throat> You'll be learning quite a bit. I listened to uh, a quote-unquote debate with Dave, David Weiss and uh, uh, Jim Fretzer earlier in the evening, and uh, Dave did a very good job of proving his case that uh, um, that uh, the world is not what we've been told since we were children. That is in line with the Word of God. James, unfortunately, a man who's got a PhD, I believe in his philosophy of science, um, unfortunately, and so bookseller and all that, is going to have a heck of a t- time coming to the reality of the fact that he's been deceived all his life. He really did a poor job. It was comical. Uh, it, it, was tra- it was a tragedy, actually, it was, because I could see exactly what happens to a man who's so wrapped up in the world and degreed of high and deep, that PhD, that it's hard for them to see what is clear and evident? What we can do with our own eyes. Very interesting. I've been, I've been having a really struggle all uh, the past uh, three days. Usually, when, that, when you have these moments, um, there's growth and a fork in the road where you're going to make a decision. And of course, the most important decision that a human being can make is who is God. And will you follow him? And, um, yeah, so I've been listening to a lot of these folks, a little bit of the uh, Josephus lectures. Um, this one cat has got a book out there, Josephus Mirror Code. Um, and, uh, what's the other one? Caesar's Messiah. All these folks that are. Uh, making claims that the uh, the Paso, okay, this is the Paso family, and the 
Flavius family. So, so this is how you pronounce it. <clears throat> Let's see if I can get this right. Um, it's Flavius, Flavius family, that kind of thing. Yeah. That it was, a, it was the, the creation of the New Testament was a creation of Rome. So I, I, I am going into the dark side there and looking to see the truth. And um, I'm seeing all sorts of things and arguments, logical uh, arguments to say that our Lord and Savior isn't real. It's fascinating to see how Satan works. As he tries to deceive humanity, he was already at the get-go. He was already working with this really wicked system that we live under. You know, Rome, as we learned in the New Testament, uh, the dragon, Satan, gives it its, its power. And right from the get-go, through uh, Josephus, the traitor to the Jewish people, the turncoat who joined the Roman Empire, and helped to recreate a... Um, how do I say this? A manipulation of what actually happened to try to deceive the world, to try to convince the Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, didn't show up. And that it, they were able to, even with their sacking of Jerusalem and their progression through Judea, actually mimic a lot of the things that happened in the New Testament with their own behavior with uh, all the dreadful things that they did, a wicked system that we live under. People, I don't realize we realize that for 2,000 years plus, well, more than that, but in particular, when Satan handed over the reins to Rome, how wicked this system is. How really wicked it is. And um, so I'm going to be studying with that. I don't know where I'm going to do with that and what the show or not. Then I'm studying stuff like I, you know, I've been reading that book that I was, said I was going to read on the show um, about um, Eros and magic in the Renaissance and how they use magic and trying to understand what magic really is. And truly, modern-day magic at this point is the television. It's all the CGI imagery on the, on the computer. Words, um, the written word, spoken word, how we are so easily manipulated by others. And so I have my faith in Jesus Christ has been stretched and challenged. Um, yeah, this the Roman uh, Paso theory. Um, I, I, you know. I think it's worth looking into. I think, you know, it's fascinating. I see people, uh, very similar people uh, in doing the same thing who have walked away from Jesus Christ as they see the, the similarities between the journey that um, uh, the Roman Caesars and the royalty of, of Rome um, 
and how they manipulated the story, a lot of people feel they created it. A lot of people have left their faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, I understand why a lot of people say don't do it. Um, because um, there's a lot of things that were very convincing for somebody who doesn't understand completely, I think. Maybe I don't even at this point. But what it means to have abiding faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things I have to do is I have to replay the tape. Uh, how has my life changed in the past couple of years since I've accepted my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And how is it different? Because things are different. Now, prior to that, I, I had a much more exciting life as far as the worldly sense go. Um, not over like six years ago, prior to the MS, and even a couple of years into the MS. But as God was working on me and those things that made my life much more exciting, or made me exciting, <clears throat> started to change and things started getting bad. Being a member of AA, I could no longer go to AA. Um, the new age stuff I could no longer do, I, um, I didn't know at the time why that was. Um, didn't you know I was even doing a new age thing? <laughs> That's how bad it was. Um, I got today, though, I don't have an exciting life physically, and uh, there's not, in fact, there's nobody in my life, really, outside of my beautiful son and a few folk, kind folks that joined me on my journey in, on the show. I really don't have any kind of excitement, worldly, but most between my years is really changing. The way I see in the world, the way I see the past, the present. And um, I can't imagine being those who went down that journey of learning about uh, the Passios and the Flavius dynasty and this whole movement that's out there. It's part of the Zeitgeist movement as well. And it's part of the <clears throat> this whole Luciferian agenda to do everything in their power to convince you that there is no Savior. And, um, yeah. All I can say is the more and more I do this, the more and more I realize how important, the most important element in all of this is abiding faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not our perfect understanding. Uh, although it's good to study, I believe it is. I believe it's good to know how wicked this world is and who's behind it all. And truly, Rome is behind it all. And um, another thing, too, is uh, I, I think it was uh, this last show I did with Dave Weitz. Uh, it was brought up to me a couple of times and not bringing up that uh, many believe that September 11th is possibly the birth date of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to be reading out chapter 5 of Ernest L. Martin's book, The Star That Astonished the World, The Star of Bethlehem. Now, I mentioned to the 
my good friend who was in my, you know, cautioned me on dealing with this and bringing this up and saying that it's a side issue, not very important. And I appreciate the remarks. And I, um, you know, I thought about it. As I thought about it and thought about it, like, you know, what's important to me? Maybe it's not Selvitic for me, but maybe somebody who hears this will make them think about our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, and reach out to him. It is interesting to note that literally Satan is trying to mimic everything uh, that is about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that 9-11, 14 years ago, what the date they chose it to bring down the two, the two, well, the three towers, the twin towers and everything else, and turn it to dust, Uh, the exploding uh, or detonating bombs and um, the Pentagon and etc. But they chose that day, and I don't believe it's, it's a mistake. I think even the Satanists and the Luciferians and their magi's, their magicians, their sorcerers know as well. And December 25th has something to do with all of it, too. That, I believe, is actually beyond Talmuz and and, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, last winter, last Christmas, I guess we call it, uh, holidays, as I prefer to call it. I don't like Christmas. I don't like the Christ mass thing. I have to accept that I live in a pagan Roman Catholic country, a corporation called the United States of America that was founded by Jesuits and Freemasons and a few Protestants, thank goodness, <laughs> a few of them. And although the, many of the Protestant element protested, even in the creation of the, what we call the United States of America and the anti-federalist papers, along with other independent thinking people who recognized that what we were receiving or what they were receiving, I should say, would turn into what we are living in today. Captivity and Mystery Babylon. But I think it is a valuable thing to think about. Why not? Why not know when Christ was born? Also, what really was the big deal about uh, December 25th. I mean, a lot of the folks who have done their research realized that actually something did happen on the 25th, uh, 2 BC, and that was the Magi's that um, something happened where they they went to Bethlehem after Christ had been, you know, already born in, in a home and give the gifts. So they, they even recognized it. You know, it's interesting when you think about it. These are desert dwellers, as we like to say, a lot of the uh, the atheists and those who practice scientism, and they make a joke about it and say, oh, you bunch of, you know, backwards desert dwellers. You know, they didn't have television. They didn't have the radio. They didn't have all the satanic 
distractions. You know what they had? God's majesty. Majesty, excuse me. The skies at night. The moon, and of course, in the day the sun, but in the moon, you had all the stars above in the firmament in heaven, wherever you want to think. Regardless of whether you believe the world is flat or round, there's one thing that's certain. It's the stars. How brilliant they were and how they were so important in their life. And it's quite logical that these, quote-unquote, desert dwellers knew them quite well. Probably by the time they were in their teens, knew amazingly well. I could probably tell you all the different constellations and what day it was, what time of the night it was, and what time of the year it was, and everything because of their understanding of the skies. It's a wonderful gift that God gave man. Now, you and I, the average folk of today, we're so delusional. We're under a strong delusion that goes way beyond what we ever could comprehend at this point. We don't know God's creation, the stars. We barely even understand the ground above our feet. We are so disconnected. We're like the old series, Lost in Space, but in but I would like to say we're lost on the plane. We're disconnected. And I think it's a very important issue and a reminder of how, who God is, how he, for thousands of years, communicated with his people. Boy, are we lost. How important it is, I've seen in my own life. I don't care if anybody thinks I'm weak-minded for doing so, and I recognize it with the guest I have. Especially after the um, after-show kind of conversations and stuff like that, that many people think that I'm very weak-minded. They don't understand. They can't see how you could believe in the Word of God, the Bible. How could they? How can you believe in a book that promoted slavery and all that kind of stuff? One of these days, maybe we'll talk about just that. See, one thing we can always remember is that we don't remember what was we weren't there. We have absolutely no clue what it was like in the Middle East four thousand years ago. But we can imagine, based on uh, the behavior today. Whether false flags or not, whether staged events or not, the truth is millions of people are dying in the Middle East. Let's think about World War II and World War I and Vietnam and Korea and all the other endless wars all orchestrated by Rome, part of the Roman Empire because they don't know anything else to do but to lie and deceive kill and murder. Why is that? Because they receive their power from the beast. Excuse me, the dragon. Satan himself. They want law. They want order all right. 
They want law. It's fascinating seeing progressively how our the police department throughout the corporation of the United States of America that has been demonstratedly proven over and over again from the Treaty of Paris in 1783 where the King of England dictated the terms of the so-called revolution to this year 2015 um, September the 23rd when they had their ceremony for the Pontius Pilate. And who was marching behind in front of him and celebrating alongside Obama? The Redcoats. No, folks, it wasn't the revolutionaries. It wasn't that. They were all dressed like British soldiers. And that's the reality. You and I live in a British colony owned and controlled lock, stock, and barrel by Rome. We are part of the Roman Empire. We are nothing more than that. Right now, for the past 100 plus years, we've been at battering ram for them. But that's it. If you look at the past fourteen, sixteen hundred years alone, we're not talking. We had a thousand years of history prior to that too, where France, Spain, and Portugal, and England, and others colonized the whole world and killed hundreds of millions, if not probably a billion people. As it says in the Bible, it's responsible not only for the death of the the prophets and the saints, but uh, all the slain upon the earth. I take it to be true at this point. So let's learn about the miracle of the time when Jesus, of Jesus' birth. A lot of people are going to say, well, you can't use that name. And they use all sorts of rationalizations. And maybe in the, the day it's true, but I know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about my Lord and Savior, my Messiah, who died on the cross, came in the flesh, died on the cross to pay for our sins that gave us any kind of hope. In the world, for some reason, God has allowed for Satan to be the prince of the world. And I have to remind myself of Jude or Job's Jude Job's experience, and, and God communicating with him and reminding him of who's boss. Whatever happens, whether you know, then the odds are none of us are going to have a Job life where we are on top of the heap and lose it all and get and regain it even better. It really doesn't matter in the end of the day. There's only one way to survive the madness that's around us. Whether the spiritual warfare that's going on, the deceptive use of the black magic that's around us. All the deception. 
from other the blind lead the blind. What else is there to hope? What other hope does a person really have? Many will find it weakness. Do you know why that is? Because they don't really want to deal with <clears throat> deal with it. Deal with repentance. Deal with reality. Deal with the fact that looking in the mirror and saying, you know what? I am a sinner. But this problem is is that many people have been beaten over their head about that. They're told, you know what? You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Instead of explaining what it really means to people. What it really means to be a sinner. Instead of making people feel guilty. Just explain Somehow, they've learned how to explain the joy of knowing that we have a Redeemer. And that as life goes on, you know, beat the four-year-old over the head about it, which I have not done yet, but I've heard others, um, or a 12-year-old, I don't find it responsible. I think, but explaining to them that there's what Jesus has done for us and that all we have to do is have abiding faith. No one ever asked you to be perfect. You can't be it. But you remember this is Savior. There's always someone to turn to. At night and in the morning, throughout your life. Hope. In a world that's sick. That's an understatement. Here we go. The suggestion was made in the last chapter, once again, from the book. It's been a long time since I've said it. From uh, Ernest L. Martin, The Star That Astonished the World, The Star of Bethlehem. We're just reading chapter 5. Once again, last chapter, that the, we learned in the last chapter that the Magi, the Magi presented their gifts to Jesus on December 25th to BCE, excuse me. This was not, however, the time of his birth. When the Magi arrived, Joseph and Mary were no longer in the stable with Jesus. They were now residing in a house. Matthew 2.11 Jesus had been circumcised, Luke 2.21, and dedicated at the temple for uh, temple some 40 days after his birth, Luke 2.22-24. He was then being called a paedion, or a toddler, and no longer a, uh, a brief I guess it's Brifos, uh, Refos, an infant. Uh, when the Magi arrived, Jesus was already walking in a magnify this. I know it's late, it's like 2 in the morning, but I can't sleep, obviously. I've been rustling. <laughs> it's been really a lot of rustling. It's part of the growth, I guess. A lot of people say you got to take it easy. Um, no, it's not me, and I don't want to take it easy. So I want to know the truth. When the Magi's arrived, Jesus already walking and was able to speak a few words 
as most normal children would be able to do even several months old. Well, my son couldn't speak any worse several months old. I guess he's not normal. Again, I don't like that term anyways, normal kids. Normal. What's normal? Soon after the Magi left, Herod killed uh, the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years of age or younger, Matthew 2.16. This does not mean that Jesus was exactly two years old at the time. In fact, that all the children two years and under were slain shows that Herod was taking every possible um, interpretation of the Magi and account for the time of Jesus' birth. Isn't that interesting? A simple claim that a king was born. And the solution was death. And if anybody thinks they were not dealing with a satanic system, <laughs> I don't know what to say. You're really going to wake up. <laughs> Since it was not clear in astro- astrological interpretation, whether the appearance of a star or a planet signified the concept or the birth of a baby. By the way, planet could be from many cultures. Uh, trav- were you know what they floating stars, traveling stars. Um, what do they call that? I get some interesting. I really do think that the star is much, 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 much more closer to us, and including the sun and the moon. I really like this flat Earth model and the dome thing and the firmament and everything being much closer. One thing that makes you realize how special we actually are in God's plans. And the other thing is, too, as it just makes you realize how truly amazing our circumstances are and, and how deep the deception is and how deceived we are. I see also the repulsive nature that I see others exhibiting as they hear for the first time me claiming that I finally come to the realization that the earth is flat and geocentric because it goes goes against everything that they've learned since a little kid with that ball. It used to be a crystal ball, didn't it? Now it's a ball that represents the world that you live on. I strongly recommend anybody spend the time to figure that one out. You say, what does it matter if it's round or if it's flat? Well, if it is flat, like the Bible suggests, it's a circle. Four corners. A circle is not a globe, it's a circle. You can draw that on a piece of paper, catch it. A circle's on a plane. And our situation is so much more cooler than what they're ever been trying to present to us. But it's much more ama- more amazing than they're willing to present. It's not really that amazing to think that there are gazillions of stars a trillion light year, years away at all. 
but they realize we are the only game in town. Really. That makes things a lot different, doesn't it? You combine that with all the other amazing things that demonstrate that there's an intelligent designer around us. There's no point in arguing whether there's a God or not. It's who is God. Now we're back to the old situation again from the Old Testament on... That's the great battle. And that is the great battle. Will you follow Satan and his minion? The false gods? Or will you follow the true and living God? And people don't want to hear it. They don't like to hear it. And I understand. But for the majority of you who might drop in and listen to this in the future, if you're one of those that wants to know the truth, Keep plugging on with me. Keep joining me. If you're not interested, go do something else. Respectfully, I say that. Not because I don't care, but why would I want to throw pearls before swine? If you're not ready for the truth, you're not ready for the truth. I know that sounds very offensive. But the reality is, in our lives, if, there's, if you don't have Christ in your heart, no matter how other people see you and like you and think you're a good person, you're nothing more than that. That's why. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to be made. So. Uh, it doesn't make anybody better who comes to the Lord and starts to get Christ working in their life. It doesn't make you any better than anybody else. At all. It just means you deceive reality. Maybe it's just me. Me, I'm the only one who's a swine. Actually, the truth of the matter is that's not the case. Uh, it really is the case. If you don't have Christ in your life, you're pretty much acting like an animal. So. <clears throat> I just see it over and over again. It's not my life and people around me. So. Or worse. There, There is a biblical information which could go a long way in helping us understand the general time period for Jesus' birth. Luke gave more uh, chronological data regarding the birth and ministry of Jesus than any other biblical writer. Now, one of the th- interesting things I'll try to tell you is that uh, these Luke and Mark and John didn't write those books. And so what? How interested am I in, in Luke and John? About that much. Who am I really interested in? Have my focus on? Oh, that's right, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but he's not a real person. He never existed. You know, the funny thing is the way it's been all set up and the way God made it happen. You're right. I can't prove it at all that he existed to you but it's been proven to me. How did that happen? Well, if I re-tape, replay the tape, and I remember what it was like uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, falling on my knees, many a time, begging for mercy, 
not only for what was going on in my own life personally, but to realize how wicked the world was and how bad it is, how people lie and how everyone wants to manipulate and control. It sounds really negative, but I saw another hope come to a realization that there was a Satan, there there is a devil, and if there was if there was a Satan, a devil, then certainly there had to be a solution, an answer to it all. And clearly, man didn't have the answer. So I finally humbled myself enough, in tears and desperation, and bewilderment and in confusion as the light bulbs went off in my head about how fallen the world that I live in. It goes way beyond eating some apple on a tree. (laughs) There's no other answer, folks. There really isn't. There is no answer in this world. Because that's a cop-out. I've seen now over and over again in my life and history over and over again of one group after another with the grand designs of changing the world. And you know what happens? Things just keep getting worse and worse. And the irony of irony is because they put their faith and their trust in themselves. But nothing good comes from it. They get usurped. The leadership of all those groups make money. They try to perpetuate as long as they can. They keep on making money. And a whole bunch of us are just useful dupes. And uh, I'm telling you, it is the truth. It always sounds really cynical and negative, but my experience with these Timor Action Network supposed to have been the first democracy of the century and it turned out to be more fascist than it was before. I see what happened with the GMO movement, non-GMO thing, and how nothing's happened. In fact, I recognize and start to see the lawyers and their their wives that are taking over end up um, working for Monsanto. Oh, it just goes on and on and on. Let's put it this way. If Jesus Christ is not real, there's no hope. Now, I know we hear this all our lives. And you say, well, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. And a lot of people say, well, this whole story, the New Testament, is to pacify people, to love their servitude. And this is what it's all about. I'm going to tell you something. At least two wars, Jewish wars, which millions of Jews died. If you hear about what they did, the sacking, I'm sorry, I was supposed to be talking, reading about this. Obviously, it's probably going to be at, at least a two, three-parter. <laughs> it's been a while since I said anything, and I feel like saying some stuff. But, you know, with my studies about this and about Rome and with its behavior with the, uh, with the sacking and the taking over of Jerusalem, what they did, I don't think people realize how actually horrendous this they were. How wicked they were to the Jews, or anybody else for that matter, that 
didn't come capitulate and comply. You know what they did? The people that were trying to escape from the city, they killed them, chopped them up. The males, they took, they chopped off their penises and put them in bread along with fecal matter, baked it up, catapulted over the wall into the city. That's right, folks. They forced the people as they were starving to start eating their the neighbors that escaped, their relatives and part of the communities. Remember, there was millions of people in this city. They started eating each other. Reports of mothers eating their children, boiling them. They're little infants. People eating the penises of their... <laughs> friends and not even knowing it. Those who did escape didn't last more than a few moments before Rome would the soldiers would take them and impale them and put them, hang them either crucify them or impale them I believe at least they crucify them and it surrounded the sea walls by the way that they created themselves the wall to keep them in this is Rome, folks. These are the same people that created uh, communism, fascism, World War One, World War Two, the Civil War, endless wars where millions upon millions upon millions upon millions and more millions of people died in horrendous and wicked deaths. This is Rome where they would march their soldiers in lines As a blood sacrifice, they dress them all up in their in their medals and their fancy red, the color of red or blue. They all had their same little Roman medals and everything else, and they would have a blood sacrifice. <clears throat> you ever ask yourself why they would have men lined up in a row against each other? Like the Civil War, let's think of that. And they forced these men by bayonets and cannons and the people above, the soldiers behind them. By the way, where do you think uh, Russia got the idea of uh, when they were invading Germany, where the front lines of the soldiers were forced to fight because the line behind them had their guns pointed at them? You see, what I'm trying to say here is nothing that you think you know to be true isn't. No, I'm not saying that right. Most of the things that you think you know are not true. How many people knew what was going on in Russia during World War II where millions upon millions of Russian soldiers were fought, excuse me, were forced by gunpoint to kill. Just as in Civil War. Just as in all these wars. Did you ever ask yourself why these men just volunteered this, their lives in a line? What about the trenches in World War One? Have you ever asked yourself the insanity? How, why? Why did the 
people do what they did. None of it makes any sense. None of it. Except for one thing. They put men in position to be um, blood sacrifices. Who wants them? Who wants the blood sacrifices? Is it just the wicked, demon-possessed elite? The Bushes of the world? The Obamas of the world? The Putins of the world? Etc.? Or is it somebody other, somebody else who demands this stuff in order for you to rise in the ranks of the satanic system? Hopefully, you already know the answer to this. For those of you that might listen to the truth that got full of it, I challenge you to prove me wrong. You're going to learn a lot. Your world is going to change. Your understanding of the world is going to change dramatically. You're going to stop buying into things like communism and fascism and capitalism and Republican and Democrat. You're going to stop buying into the magic that has blinded us all into believing in things that mean nothing except your enslavement and to keep you away from the glory, the glorious truth of the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Do I care if you believe? I do, actually, because I want you to be saved. Can I make you believe? No. All All the history that I've learned cannot prove to anybody that Jesus Christ is, is real. You may dis, disagree with me, but just keep on researching and you're going to realize it takes more than reading just one book and or even two or even a dozen. You're going to be willing to even read the other side. One of the things you're going to realize is that from the very get-go, since the birth of our Lord and Savior, that turns out to be Highly probable that it was 9-11, and this is very important, and it's not some side issue. Talking about a Lord or Savior. And the end of the day, is it important? Is Salvatic to know the date of his birth? No. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, you want to know as much as possible, wouldn't you, about your Lord and Savior? Try to put the pieces together, and we see the black magicians, the the black witches, the the Jesuits, and everyone else under them, foaming at the mouth, throbbing at, uh, at the mouth to commit such as a blood sacrifice as 9-11. Or people that deny... I think I've been questioned at the time whether people die. Now I realize people did die. Some odds are more people died than probably they'll ever tell us. I wouldn't be surprised if they stacked that building full of people. 
think of the millions of people in the middle in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, and in Syria and in Iraq, who have died. How many of the young men in this country and in other countries who have died? Most of them committing suicide. Can you imagine what the hell that's going to be unleashed soon? Not that I'm fear-mongering, because I, I just don't think it's worth you worrying about at this point. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't worry about this world. Don't worry about whether the economic system collapses or they, they come knocking on your door, FEMA camps and all that other nonsense. Because I can tell you right now, whatever we're worrying about, we're wrong. We're not in control. No one was expecting 9-11. They weren't. You can say everything you want and all the predictive programming and it all is hindsight. It's 2020 and how, whoa, that's really amazing stuff. And, of course, they probably want you to even more focus on the ultra Satan, you know, the television. Oh, boy, they want you to focus on that. They want you to believe that you're going to see something that's going to be great and important. I can tell you something. It's interesting to point it out after the fact. That's the best we can do. To see that they do predict a program, but that predictive program is not for you. That's for them, and you ain't in the club, and so don't waste your time. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I strongly recommend that you don't even have a television in your house. It would be one of the... You know what? This is what's more important. Do you have a television or a Christmas tree? I'm going to tell you something. Television is a million times worse than the bail bush. Think about it. Just think about it. Of course, most of the folks that be listening to my show do not listen or watch so much television because they're interested in some truth. And so... There is something that's important on December the 25th, and that has to do with the Magi. As we go on tonight, we'll learn about 9-11. So. I find it fascinating what I'm going through. It's been quite a challenge. really quite clever, this whole thing about me coming out, the flat earth thing, because I really do believe it's an important issue. But why did they throw it at us this year and never say, this is the year of the flat earth, and that's something that I kind of coined. And how many people started listening and started saying it too? And I'm sure not the only person. I shouldn't take this. But I was the first, I was the first, first person I ever heard say that back in the springtime. This is the year of the flat earth. Meantime, the Pope shows up and just treated like you wouldn't believe 
God Obama calling him Holy Father. They got the Brits celebrating them in our in American soil. Over and over again, a lot of these false flags. I think a lot of it there just is that they're exercises and they're opportunities to condition you that there was some predictive programming going on. This is it. To get you accustomed and used to the fact that police officers are now being militarized to the point of looking like soldiers. That whatever they plan on doing with this Third World War, this Albert Pike agenda, whatever. That they're going to force a lot of people to comply. Why everyone's waiting for such silliness as the forcing of you to worship on Sunday when the Sabbath has nothing to do with the Saturday or Sunday, but it has to do with the lunar calendar the Lunai solar calendar, and naturally that would be the case because those folks, well, they live in the desert. And, uh, oh, what a wise thing God would do is put them in a desert, you think about it, where they can see the stars, (laughs) see his glory. Yep. God's amazing. Anybody believes there's not a creator, they're a fool. They're sadly lost. We pray that they may God awaken up his children. But uh, worrying about what the future has to hold is really a waste of time. Because We can't do much about it. All we can do is put our trust in God, our Lord and Savior. And in doing this, Luke began his story with John the Baptist. Just going back to the article now, of course. He gave some chronological indications as to the time of John's conception and birth. Though his statements are general, they are plain enough to indicate the approximate time of John's birth, consequently that of Jesus himself, this chronological information is found in Luke first chapter. Note what Luke says, quote, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, the certain priest named, uh, I guess Zechariah, of the course of Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Luke 1 5. The verse tells us something about the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah was a priest whose duty it was on certain occasions to offer the national sacrifices in the temple at Jerusalem. While he was accomplishing his assigned requirements, Luke said an angel came to him and stood him, excuse me, told him that his wife Elizabeth would bear a child. 
Zechariah could hardly believe what he was told because Elizabeth was beyond the age of childbearing. The angel understood his reason for disbelief, so Zechariah was struck dumb to prove the certainty of what was prophesied. When Zechariah came out of the inner temple, the people perceived that he had seen a vision and were amazed that he was unable to speak. They realized that something significant had been pointed out to Zechariah. Luke tells us that all this happened while Zechariah, quote, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, end quote, in Luke 1.8. He was performing his priestly duties, quote, according to the customs of the priest's office, end quote, Luke 1.9. Zechariah's course was that of Abijah. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Abijah. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, in the KJV, it's uh, Abiah, Luke 1 5. What was this course, and when did it serve? The 24 priestly courses. There were 24 priestly courses that administered the services in the temple. These are enumerated in 1 First uh, Chronicles chapter 24. Each course had a title associated with it. These were the names of the leaders who headed each course in the time of David. Samuel and, and David were the persons responsible for establishing the 24 courses of the priest. First Chronicles 9.22, originally in the time of Moses, the priesthood, well, this is another thing they'll try to convince you that Moses was actually a pharaoh. That's another one of those variants I'll try to get you to do. Respect to this. At the time of Moses, the priesthood was confined only to Aaron and his immediate sons. But by the time of Samuel and David, that family had grown to such a proportions that they could not all officiate together at one time in the temple. That is why Samuel and David divided the priest into 24 separate groups, which were called, quote, orders, end quote, or courses, end quote. The course in which Zechariah served was the eighth, that of Epijah, First Chronicles 24.10. Joseph, Josephus, the Jewish historian, was also a priest, and he mentions that he was a member of the first course called the Jeho, Jehoia Reb, Reb. I think it's like pronounced it, Jehoiarib. And like we've learned, and what I'm learning about Josephus, the historian, he was a, uh, not only a priest, but he also was a general. He turned into a turncoat. He ended up joining the Roman side and manipulating a lot of uh, information. He is really a questionable source of information and also one that seems to be blamed for a lot of the deception about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
where it's worth as I'm studying that. I'm thinking about actually playing the lecture called Josephus Lecture by Lawrence Truster, who's a rabbi, apparently. But he does a very good job of breaking down the Roman history and of Josephus from his understanding. Of course, we're talking 2,000 years ago of history. We're also talking about the Roman Empire and how they used Josephus as a propagandist or public, public relations officer. And therefore, we have to take things with a grain of salt. But what he does say about what happened, historical events, seem to uh, make some sense, especially with archaeology. And so we'll probably do it anyways. It is a long lecture series. If I can discipline myself to do it all, I don't know. Maybe I just play the first couple uh, lectures and see what happens. But it's, it's definitely worth listening to. So a lot of information, especially about the Roman system, how the provincial system that was back then is still used today, how the Jesuits still use that, the provincial system, and that uh, Pope Francis was uh, uh, the head of the provincial down there in Argentina, was responsible in being part of the dirty wars, and is a very bad man. <laughs> of course, they would be so. Being the number one politician of the Roman Empire, he has certainly is unnecessary to have questionable scruples. Faith is very important. Abiding faith in Jesus Christ. Don't put your faith in your works. Don't put your faith in your knowledge. Put your faith in Him. In Him. And see how your heart changes. See how you change. And although your life might not get better, and odds are it won't get necessarily better worldly, but the, the peace that a man gets in having faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of the world throws at you and convinces you that you are an idiot, you, if you work on your faith in Jesus Christ and develop abiding faith in Him, confidence in Him, hope in Him and His story, that what He said is true, well, it makes life a lot more tolerable, doesn't it? You know, we're not really here to fight Rome. We're not really here to fight Caesar. It's, a, it's important to expose him. But the truth is, we're here to share the good news. To share the good news. That there's hope in Jesus Christ. That's not religion. That's not man-man's religion. That's not things of this world. That's a individual walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As he instructs us and leads us in his ways. How fascinating it is that the greatest teacher of all, the Spirit of God, that leads you in places where he feels best for you. Interesting how it works. 
folks, nothing like the priests and the pastors talk about. Many of them are so enslaved in the world. Part of that problem is because they are, well, it's money. It's praise of man, self-preservation. Anyways, let's check out this. Since each course administered for one week, it follows that there was a 24-week period for each of the courses to have its chance of serving. This occupied a span of about six months. When this was accomplished, the series started all over again. In the period of 48 weeks, each course would have served for two weeks, with each session being separated from the other by about six months. There are just over 52 weeks in each solar year. The Jewish calendar, on the other hand, is a lunar solar one. The ordinary years, it only has about 51 weeks. And particular intervals of Jew, the Jewish authorities had to add an extra month of 30 days to keep it in season with the motions of the sun. And a 19-year period, seven extra months were usually added. But, as said before, all normal years with the Jews had about 51 weeks. The priests served in their courses for 48 of those weeks. This means that there were three weeks in the year which were not reckoned in the accounting. What happened with those three weeks? David provided the answer back in his day. The course served together at the the three festival seasons. Since there were three major holidays on the Jewish calendar, Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles, and since, as these times, there were great crowds at Jerusalem, David ordained that all 24 courses were to serve together for the week of the Passover and the week when the Pentecost occurred and and the week of the Tabernacle. Quote, for all the priests that were present at the tabernacles did not then wait by the course, in the quote, Second Chronicles 5.11. At Chronicles and also Passover and, did I say Chronicles? At Tabernacles and also Passovers and Pentecost, the priestly courses were suspended. They, quote, did not, did not then wait by the course, in the quote. In actual fact, all the courses by the priests served together during those three holy seasons, but in all other normal weeks, the various courses were doing their assigned work at the temple. In the case of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, Luke said that he was officiating in his regular office the eighth, re- the eighth course or the eighth week when the angel said his wife Elizabeth was to have a child. This is the chronological clue. 
Luke met it that way, he was showing his readers the general time of the year that Zechariah was serving. We know that Zechariah was not serving at a festival period because the priest, quote, did not then wait by the course, end quote. Also, it was either in the first half of the year when the course of Abijah served, or it was during the second half. Let us look at the course of Abijah, because we can know the approximate times when it served in the temple. And what's interesting too, maybe I'll read that this month too. I don't know what I'm doing. I know, I, I thought, you know, I, I, you know, as I'm planning, I wonder what I want to do this week. And, uh, I, you know, my show, I just kind of go with prompting where the spirit takes me. So, but one of the things maybe we will do is learn about the temple back then because it's nothing what you think. This thing was a monstrosity. It was huge in the day. We're talking stories tall. If I'm not mistaken, I don't want to be quoted on this, but it was tens of stories tall. It was a monstrosity. <clears throat> By the time Christ showed up. What we're talking about now. The, chron- the chronology of the 24 courses it is perfectly reasonable that the priestly courses started their serving in the springtime month of Nisan. Isn't it interesting they get a car name after that, Nisan? <laughs> uh, the first month of the Jewish ecclesiastical year. Now you know what Nisan means. The first month of the Jewish ecclesiastical year. This was the customary time ordained in the Bible, when priests began their administration. Exodus 40, uh, verses 1 through 38. David arranged the 24-hour courses of the priests to coincide with the time when each of the 12 tribes of Israel had their representatives helping in the temple service. Each of the 12 tribes administered a whole month. They, quote, came in and went out month by month Throughout all the months of the year, the first course of the first month, First Chronicles 27, verses 1 through 2. The first month for the uh, temple service was Nisan. The first month long course of the 12 tribes started at the beginning of the springtime, at the springtime month. This must also have been the first month for the priests. See where he's heading here. Twenty-four priestly courses, however, lasted only one week. From from Sabbath to Sabbath, which is based once again on the lunar solar calendar, it has nothing to do with the Gregorian calendar at all. Isn't it nice to know? Their courses started with the Sabbath just before the beginning of Nisan in order for the priests to be on duty to perform their regular ceremonial ceremonials 
uh, Nissan one I guess the first month the same procedure was all also followed for their second yearly tenure commencing six months later on the Tishrai one there is even in the New Testament a reference to the second yearly tender or tenure which commenced six months after the first month. And if I'm not mistaken, is it not March or April? I think it's March when the their year starts. So six months into that, you know, that's March, April, May, June, July, August, August or September or something around there, right? Okay. Um, lost my place. It is, it says for the Sabbath day, uh, okay, uh, and Luke 6, 1, some manuscripts, we read what appears to be a strange statement. At least it's a strange to some scholars. It says that the Sabbath day on which Jesus excuses disciples for picking grain was quote, the second dash first, and the quote, Sabbath. Many manuscripts and in the writings of several early fathers of Christendom, they state this event was performed on the second slash, or dash, first Sabbath, and the quote. This must be a true reading of the original text, and it's suppose oddity is what helps to explain its meaning. What in the world was the quote second um, dash first month end of quote? The answer is easy to determine. The truth is the phrase was regularly uh, was a regular calendar indication for all Jews in the time of the temple understood. The answer is plain. Luke is using the phrase, quote, second dash first Sabbath, and the quote, was simply following the regular order of the 24 courses of the priests because this chronological indication was a reference to their second cycle beginning with the Tishri 1, and the disciples picked the grain on the first weekly Sabbath on the second yearly tenure. The next weekly Sabbath would have been called the second. Isn't it goodness that we don't have to worry about all this stuff anymore? <laughs> yeah, they were so... <laughs> goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm trying to keep all this. It must have been extremely... Wicked back then. A lot of people make glorify it, but you got to think about how absolutely I mean, wicked people have always been. And uh, again, this we have a savior now. Anyways, the second, third uh, Sabbath, the next uh, Sabbath uh, after that would have been the second, fourth Sabbath, etc. Until the priest reached the second, twenty-fourth Sabbath. After that, the priest restarted the cycle once again. 
with the first weekly Sabbath associated with the first day of Nisan of the next year. They would have called that first Sabbath the, quote, first first Sabbath. The second would have been the first second Sabbath, etc. So, okay, not that makes any sense, but from what I can gather, the second year of this tenure, whatever Sabbath, you know, cycle would be two, one, two, 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 three, two, four Sabbath. I kind of think the first year to be one, 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 two, one, three, or something like that. So. However, when weekly Sabbaths occur inside the festival week of Passover, Pentecost, or to Tabernacles, those intervening Sabbaths, which were not counted in the second cycle each year, were called the, quote, between Sabbaths, and the quote. And Luke he refers to one of those that occurred during the week of Pentecost. Note in Acts 13.42, where the phrase, quote, the next Sabbath, end of quote, was found in the King James Version, really states from the Greek, quote, the between Sabbath, end of quote. This meaning that Luke, in the New Testament, was well aware that the 24 priestly courses, and he knew the specifics concerning the weekly Sabbath, in which the 24 priestly courses changed their weekly tenure two times a year, separated by a six-month period. These indications by Luke are calendar references, and they give us important clues to help us understand some New Testament chronological facts. Before we look at the chronological indications of the priestly courses that determine the time of the year, John the Baptist was born, and consequently the nativity period for Jesus, let's, let us find the proper year for Jesus' birth. We can then know what year to apply the chronological clues within the cycle of the priestly courses for the months of the John the Baptist's birth and also that of Jesus. The year for the birth of Jesus is not difficult to determine if we allow all the biblical and historical information to be used in our appraisal. What was the precise year of Jesus' birth? Was Jesus born in 3 or 2 BCE? If the central chronological statement of Luke are, are correct, the nativity of Jesus must be placed in 3 or 2 BCE. Historical evidence I have presented in this book supports this conclusion. However, there is a problem that is not solved by Luke's narrative alone. He said that Jesus began his ministry in Tiberius, the 15th year, when he was, quote, about 30 years of age, end of quote, about 30 years of age. I will show in a moment what Luke meant by the phrase about 30 years of age. But for now, let us note that Luke does not inform us whether Jesus was, quote, about 30, end quote, near the beginning the middle 
or near the end of Tiberius' 15th. Further, we are not told whether it was the Roman method of reckoning Tiberius' 15th year or that which the people of Judea or Syria were accustomed to, which uh, antedated, antedated the reign of kings and emperors to Tishri one of the previous year. It seems a lot more complicated than one of than we ever thought. <laughs> Thank goodness somebody else did the work, huh? Between a lifetime just to figure this stuff out. I notice a lot of these guys are lawyers too. They must get their law degrees and then they got their manuals and they just must have a lot of time to do research. And they probably get bored of their job of promoting the canon law, Roman canon law, for that matter. <clears throat> At the time of money, it's kind of a it's a guy that used their brain somehow. So thank goodness they have. In spite of this, it will be difficult to determine that Luke was using the ordinary method of dating Tiberius, the 15th year, as was common among Easterners in the empire. <clears throat> what a mean, wicked empire it was, too, folks. <clears throat> Can you imagine what it must have been like, uh, even that they, you know, they kind of make it, oh, la-da-da-da-da, and then Jesus was born, and everything was fine. You know what? There was constant war there. Constant war. Must have been crazy. I don't want to. I don't want to. I hope none of us have to experience anything like that. This is an, an important thing to understand in identifying the star of Bethlehem. This is because we must know the year in which Jesus was born to see if it, the celestial pageantry of. Three or two BCE will fit the chronological indications in the New Testament. Indeed, it fits remarkably well. The method of reckoning the 15th year of the Tiberius, Tiberius is an interesting one, but very understandable and consistent. It simply means that the eastern part of the empire, the whole of the year in which Tiberius became emperor of Rome in August 19th, 14 CE, was awarded Tiberius as his first year. It means that the New Year's Day for the beginning of that year began the first year of Tiberius. This would have been on the Tishri 1 the first day of Tishri, in the year in which the Tiberius came to rulership. Thus, the whole first year was from Tishri 1 and CE 13 to Tishri 1 and CE 14. Consequently, Tiberius' 15th year would have been from Tishri 1 to CE 27 to Tishri 1, of CE 28. 
I will have more information showing this matter in a later chapter. Thank goodness we don't have to go into more of that. Jesus was born in the year 3 B.C.E. <clears throat> if Jesus was about 30 years of 30 years old in the commencement of the emperor's 15th year, as reckoned by the people in the east, then his birth was in 3 B.C.E. Recalled that Luke tells us that Jesus was born at the time of the Roman census and enrollment. If we can determine the period of that registration, this will help to pinpoint the year of the nativity. This is where the new historical information offered in this book becomes essential. We now know that the empire-wide citizen registration took place for a ward of the Pater Paterio. That, that sounds familiar, isn't it? <clears throat> Upon Augustus in early 2 BCE. This was the census Luke met. I will give a full account of this registration a census, census in a further chapter of this book entitled, quote, Census of uh, Quirinius, unquote, chapter 12. <clears throat> but let me briefly rehearse some of the evidence that shows when the census mentioned, the census mentioned in the New Testament took place. The census of Quirinius, yeah, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> what a name. Um, took place in 3 BCE. Uh, Lewin points out that Augustus was already being called the Pater Patrae. I guess as I pronounce it, it's P A T R I A E. Patrae. So the Pat. Pater Patrae. It sounds kind of familiar, like I read something about that, like the two peers. Wasn't that the... Didn't they use that name quite a bit? For like... Um, the Roman stuff, so... Okay, I got a case. Okay, so the Pater Patrae on the one or two inscriptions by 3 BCE in late 3 BCE was offered the title of the deputation of people who met him at Antium, though he refused it until the Senate bestowed it upon him in February 5 of 2 BCE, the day of Concord. Concordance. <laughs> yeah, we don't still have a world. This is, this is good evidence that, quote, all the Roman people, end of quote, must have started to give him the most prestigious title sometime in 3 BCE. And interestingly, our historical reconstruction, as shown in the book, shows that an oath of obedience to Augustus was demanded in all people in Judea in 3 BCE. This oath would have been required of Joseph and Mary.
<laughs> yeah, we don't live in Rome. No, we're not. No, we don't. We don't we're not part of the Roman Empire. Nah. How anybody can think that we are anything to do with <laughs> Revelation 13. The only thing I think is that they just refuse to try to do some homework. They let somebody else do it for them. So, I don't know. Which I understand. There's only so much time. So. But I do know one thing. The praise of man will trap you in a whole lot going down the wrong direction. So, more than that, the Pathagonia, I guess the inscription shows that the oath of obedience was required of all Roman citizens and non-citizens in exactly the same year in 3 BCE. Moses of uh, Crorean, I guess this how this word pronounced it, the early uh, Armenian historian quoted sources which related that the census mentioned by Luke was also administered by Roman agents in Armenia, a neighbor country to Paphlagonia. I guess that's how it's pronounced. Maybe that's how you pronounce it. Paphlagonia. In BCE and the wording of Moses of Cronia, or Crony, Corinne, about the event was very similar to that uh, Pep Flagonia inscription. Ororius in the 5th century also said that the 3 BCE and oath census was command of all nations at the time of Augustus was honored as, quote, the first of all men, in the quote. <clears throat> Pontus Maximus and uh, Appropriate description of the title is Pater uh, Patria. Remarkably, Orosius said that this was the empire-wide census mentioned by Luke in his gospel. This information strongly suggests that the census which brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, was conducted in the summer and early autumn of 3 BCE. The census by the Romans would hardly have been ordered in every early spring or late autumn, and certainly not in winter when the rainy season was in evidence. Ramsey expressed confidence that the normal time for Roman censuses was from August to October. Thus, the latter part of 3 BCE makes sense. And uh, the next part we'll do, we'll start dealing with uh, the birth of John the Baptist. And as we go on, we're going to discover the actual day of that. Once again, looks like it's gonna it's September and a lot of people think it's September 11th. Which makes sense why the Luciferians and the Satanists would mock our Lord and Savior and have a blood sacrifice on that day as a way of really pointing the finger at or showing disrespect to God. The little two towers of Babel that they had 
the two pillars. I think it's fascinating myself. Anyways, it's a great way to pass some time. Hey, you're still there, showgirl, huh? I'm glad you're here, too, Sh- uh, shadow girl. I should call you showgirl, shadow girl. I haven't heard you or heard from you in a long time. I hope you and your new life is going well. And that you're... Uh, you and your loved one are enjoying each other. I sincerely mean that. Good to find some love in life. In a crazy world like this, it's good to find some love. So, I'm trying to think what I want to do here. If I want to keep going or if I want to... It's already 3.10. But, and I'm tired. I, you know what I did? I ended up... I had my son for three days and then he went back home last night and I... I slept all day. I slept all night and all day. <laughs> and then part of the problem, too, is we didn't have heat yesterday. Or, yeah, it would be yesterday. Uh, there was a gas leak out in front of the house. And so they had to shut off the gas. And so it was cold, very cold. So I just, a bunch of blankets on the couch and just slept. So Actually, I like it being cold. It's weird, the heating here, though. I'm trying to keep it. It's too cold here, though. Too too hot or too cold. But it's an old house, so that's the way it goes. <clears throat> I think what I'll do. They let's see. I hate the um, spam. Get so much of that crud. I just keep blocking them and blocking them, and it's just one thing after another. It's one, one perverted thing after another. And I don't understand why they keep showing up. It's like something new I've done. I don't know, blocking thing must not work. I've been doing this months now. It's just sick of all of it. But anyways, um, Yeah, it's fascinating looking at the people. Um, the difference, you know, you, the people, you know, I really think it comes down to this, really, to believing Jesus Christ. I really think it's a spiritual matter. And um, maybe the election has something to do with it, really. I mean, maybe they're not kidding. Because I see some people that just cannot accept it and will go the... Um, Josephus route, if you will. They reject it and look at everything uh, simply as a... Oh, like it is, there's a G.J. Uh, Goldberg. <laughs> a lot of Jews, obviously, write these anti- New Testament uh, books. But this one's called New Testament Parallels with the Works of Josephus. So. Which, of course, that was what would happen. And, of course, you know, we think about Rome. You think how they hate God and they hate Jesus Christ. I mean, the worst thing that ever happened to Rome really is. Besides being sacked. <clears throat> oh, my gosh. Tripped over that. That's not good. What's just going on? I get up and stretch my legs. 
The worst thing that happens in Rome were, was Christianity. <laughs> and they know that. We think about the old, early Christians and how that was kind of causing problems with the Roman Empire. Because Roman Empire, it's necessary for its existence to rule with an iron fist, as today. That's the reason why our money goes to wars and, uh, you know, military arms. People say, oh, it's all about money. Well, your money is a big part of it. But really, in order to maintain an empire, there's a couple things you have to do. First thing you have to do is you have to have military might to keep people in line. Extremely important. The next thing is you have to have a propaganda machinery in place to keep people from ever thinking for themselves or ever asking questions. Hence the television, the public school system, even the church today, unfortunately, <clears throat> Are, well, they always have been, to be honest with you. They've always been very complicit because there's never been such a thing as separation church states. Only the illusion of that. <clears throat> At least for the past 250 years has all been uh, the illusion of it. <clears throat> and so... It's extremely important that they have a cohesion, stability, how stability formed, how it's formed through obedience to the state. You can have any religion, just like, it's the same thing. Our whole system is based on the Roman system. Of course, it will be because we're part of the Roman system. But the thing is, in Christ's time, you could be a walk to any religion, just had to pay homage to Caesar, pay taxes, and just be obedient and don't cause any problems like it is today. <laughs> pay the laws of Caesar, and they won't have their centurions show up and their, their soldiers and bust down your door and haul you off and Crucify it. And it's the same thing today. There's nothing that's changed. It's just strategies. So, so um, one of the things it did, obviously, was we learned so far is the census. I mean, of course, you probably read it and you probably knew about it. Do we not have today have to take a census? It's not a responsibility to. do all these many different things as far as what the, they want, you know, paying your 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 tags on your license plate, uh, get a new driver's license. I have to do both of those next year, a month from now. Dang it. How am I going to afford everything? Anyways. <laughs> um, yeah. What's really changed? Apparently, even back then, you know, they would uh, paint rocks. You carry a rock with a certain color on it that it would paint, and it indicates the status and where you're at in the empire, and how, how much money you owed, and all that kind of stuff. So, 
so you were constantly being taxed, whether it was from Rome itself or from Judea and their leadership and Herod or then um, the temple and everybody. You were enslaved to everybody, just like you are today. Working for the man, as it say. Who's that man? Well, you believe it. It's your landlord. You believe it. It's uh, your boss. You believe it's uh, the state, the county, because they take your taxes and the federal taxes. But where's that money going, really? With all the money that they collect in taxes, things should be a lot different than they are today for the average citizen of the United States of America, but they're not. Well, that's going to the war machine because that's what America was designed for. That's America's great uh, experiment. <laughs> they needed a people-run, Jesuit-controlled, and or let me rephrase this: people Jesuit-run, Freemason-controlled society that was willing to fight the wars necessary to expand the empire because their goal has always been. They feel, they feel it's their right, it's their divine right to rule the world. Nothing's changed in all this time. since 2015. We still don't know what the world looks like, and Rome still runs the show. Fascinating. <laughs> we think we're so beyond that. And, of course, one of the best ways to go about that ruling is convincing everybody that they're not really a slave to anybody, that they have more freedoms than they actually do. Do you know who the largest landowner is in the United States of America? That would be Rome, the, the papacy. They claim it's the Roman Catholic Church, but we know better than that. <laughs> and... Uh, it turns out that uh, the writer of the uh, Caesar's Messiah, um, Mr. Joseph Atwell, uh, is or was a Jesuit priest, trained in, I guess, some college or some university in Japan. Isn't that interesting what they do? They just throw, they convince people that um, you know, but they're not priests anymore. But once a priest, always a priest, right? Once a Jesuit, always a Jesuit. So you gotta ask yourself, what do I care about that? Well. <clears throat> Caesar's of this book, The Caesar Messiah, has been a big influence on a lot of people convincing them that the whole con who Jesus is was simply just a creation of Rome <clears throat> to pacify the Jews. And for those who think with a logical mind, it makes a lot of sense, and who do not want to believe in Jesus Christ, who don't want to believe in God, it makes a lot of sense to them. I can understand how they buy into it. But those of us who do believe in the Word of God and do recognize what it's being said, it points out clearly 
that role. <clears throat> Are a bunch of liars that can't help themselves. That's their job. The job is is to deceive the whole world. As the Tupper Saucy would say, uh, evil men are, have been called elected by God to rule evil men. I, I can only just, I know that seems like that doesn't make much sense. God elected them, but um, he certainly has allowed it if we do believe in any kind of sense of predestination, which seems to be the case. Why does one person believe and the next person doesn't with the same information? Well, the only thing I can think of is that what makes a difference between why I believe in Jesus Christ and why the guy who doesn't next to me is because I actually did fall on my face and beg for mercy and asked to know if it was true. And God has softened my heart to believe in it and hope in it. I have a, I'm developing that abiding faith that is a lifelong journey in the rest of the world will see us as being foolish and childish and you know if it is true in the end of the day that we're all deceived and dupes which I don't believe that but if it is the case I certainly would rather have hope in my life than the dismal prospects of just knowing all my life all my existence until I pass away of uh, just nothing being more than a slave to Rome and to Satan himself. I think that's what it comes down to. A lot of people will tell you, well, you're just not thinking, you're, you're not being honest with yourself. Am I not being honest with myself? I can only say, that my hope is in Jesus Christ. I don't think I could maintain a day without that hope. They could tell you I'm mentally ill or whatever, but I really don't care. Because I remember what it was like when I didn't believe, and I was mentally ill <laughs> when I didn't believe. Although I wasn't diagnosed with that, but I knew what was going on between my ears that desperation that everyone has without them, the feeling of inadequacy and not accomplishing more than I felt I needed to, uh, the endless rat race that it produces in man when they have believe in nothing else but their own ability and their own hope is in the here now. It's certainly much better they have some faith in something other than themselves, and it's certainly better to have faith in something other than mankind. <laughs> but regardless of what I just said, the most important thing that I've discovered was really that. When I finally got to a point, and God had to do this to me, He had humbled me enough to a point where I actually would delete. Uh, I would even have enough uh, courage, if you will, or weakness to follow my face and in tears and beg to know the truth and if Jesus is true. Because, you know, if Jesus isn't true, there's not much hope. 
all things that I know, there really is not much hope. Just religion, the state, scientism, whatever religion you want to choose, atheism, it's all religion. Even Christendom. Christendom itself is really not what Christ taught. He didn't teach having abiding faith in the church that you you go to, which I'm not saying you shouldn't or should do. I'm just saying it's having faith in Jesus Christ. Regardless of what happens. Well, now we're back to this reading. It's called, this next section is the birth of uh, John the Baptist. Now let's uh, now return to the, consider the chronology of the priestly courses. This will help us arrive to a general period of the birth of John, and also Jesus, because John was born about six months before Jesus, Luke 136. This would indicate that the conception of John, as well as that of Jesus, was most probably 4 BCE, Luke mentioned that Zechariah was serving at his regular time of administration during the week when the eighth course of Abijah served. This course, this course had duty two times each year, once in late spring and again late autumn. Look at a spring session. We must find out when the first day of Nisan occurred in 4 BCE. This is not a simple task in some years, since the calendar of the Jews in the first century was dependent upon the state of the crops around Jerusalem in order to that certain ritualistic duties could be performed regarding the first fruits. It was necessary for priests to observe the ripeness of the, bar, of the barley before they would allow any ecclesiastical year to begin. If the twelve lunar months had passed from the beginning of the previous year, it was the normal custom to start the next year with the thirteenth month, which of course would have been reckoned as Nisan, the first month of the year. But if the barley was not yet ripe enough, the priests often postponed the start of the year for one month. Thankfully, in 4 BCE, this agricultural requirement is no problem. The month of Nisan began March 29. That is always that always. Wait a minute. That is always late enough in the year to allow no quibbling over the state of the crops. This date was also Nisan 1 on the bar, uh, the Babylonian calendar. However, a, quote, new moon was visible at Jerusalem 37 minutes before it was visible at Babylon, and therefore, upon occasion, the new month could begin the day earlier in Jerusalem. In the year 
4 BCE, this factor was a definite possibility. But in this reckoning, I will follow the date given by Parker and Duberstein, the noted authorities regarding the calendars of the Babylonians and the Jews in this period. Yet even if Nisan 1 were a... Hey, what happened here? It's popped up. What's going on now? See what's happening. Hey, don't tell me you hung up on me, so... Okay, cool. Okay, let's get back to where I was reading. For some reason, I had lost connection for some reason. Of course, it is 3.30 in the morning. Maybe the computer's trying to do something. Uh, okay, so we we're talking about this. Let's go back to this. So we're reading about the new moon. It was visible at Jerusalem 37 minutes before it was visible at Babylon. Therefore, upon occasion, the new month could begin a day earlier in Jerusalem. Okay. <clears throat> Yet even if Nisan 1 were a day earlier in Jerusalem, it is of no consequence to our present question. Recall also that when we say Nisan 1 as March 29, it must be understood that the day actually commenced the previous evening at sundown on March 28th, because all Jewish days start at sundown. That was interesting because uh, I know one thing that uh, David Nikeo, in his argument, says is opposite. So regardless of whether what the the, uh, the day started when the day daylight or when most of us have been taught as far as Jewish calendar starting when sunset, one thing is certain they follow the different calendar than the Gregorian calendar. I guess in his point is he's pointing out that they follow the lunar solar calendar. And many times the Sabbath does not fall on a Saturday or a Sunday. Which just goes to show you how foolish it is to be fighting over such things. Going to follow it properly, you should follow it the way it is in the Bible and the time of uh, the Old Testament. Now, if you want to have your own personal Sabbath, I guess. I guess you could do that. I really doesn't. Or you can rest in the Lord every day. So, <laughs> fortunately, it's not a salvific issue. Thank goodness. Jesus freed us from all this. Because it was... Can you imagine what it must have been like? I understand back then why it was such a... How it turned into... Well... So much like religion. So, I hope people remember who Jesus is and there was a Messiah and who their hope was in. Except the majority of them missed it when he showed up. So... Anyways, and that to illustrate how the information can help us arrive to the approximate time of John the Baptist's birth, understand that the first of the Nisan in 4 BCE was March 29th. The priestly courses began their administration on the Sabbath near the first of the of Nisan, and while there was a brief 
belief among some of the Dead Sea sects that the duties of the first course started on Nisan 12, the people of Qumran were out of the mainstream of the Jewish thought. This reference needs not be taken as reflecting normal Jewish practice, but even if it were, there would be only two weeks, two-week discrepancy. This is not enough to seriously upset the general chronological indications associated with the course of Abijah, to which we are referring. What's going on here? Sorry about this. Yeah, I'm a real professional, so uh, you can tell I'm just a guy doing his thing. <laughs> anyway, so where were we at with this? The main Jewish custom, however, had the first priestly course commence its duties on the Sabbath before the Nisan 1, the Sabbath, just prior to March 29, was March 24. This indicates that the week of service of the course of Jah. Jehori, Jeho, Jehoahab, Jehoahab, the first course was from Sabbath noon, March 24th, to Sabbath noon, March 31. <clears throat> the course, second course, began March 31 and served to, uh, to April 7th. The third course stated in April 7th, but its week was interrupted by the period of Passover when all the priests officiated together. This caused the third course not to end its administration until the Sabbath after the Passover and April 21st. Then the weekly course started once again in the regular order of service. Now, it's true that you got to take, um, hopefully this guy's telling us the truth, right? It certainly seems like he does homework. I don't know how, I don't have enough time to prove it one way or the other, but I found it's got to be a reliable source. Uh, the eighth course of, of from other people, who shared it with me, so. Of course, I didn't live back then, and I was not part of the Jewish culture or part of the priest class. Therefore, I have no idea for certain what he says is true, but he looks like he spent an awful lot of his time trying to figure it out, so. The eighth course of Abijah. The period of the eighth course of Abijah would have been from May 19th to May 26th if this were the springtime administration when the angelic messenger came to Zechariah about his wife having a child. Then we have a chronological hit of the period for John the Baptist's conception because it must have happened immediately after the, the time, that time. Indeed, because Zechariah was struck dumb during his administration, he was disqualified at once from exercising his priest's office, Leviticus 2, or excuse me, 21, verses 16 through 23. He no doubt, no doubt left very soon for home, thus somewhere near May 20. 6 to June the 1st. Elizabeth must have conceived uh, the human gestation period about 280 days, 9 months and 10 days. Thus, the 
thus shows that the birth of John the Baptist near March the 10th, 3 BCE. The birth of Jesus. Birth of Jesus. Now, let us now look at the birth of Jesus for what we have observed about the approximate time of John's birth. It should be easy to compute that of Jesus. Like, like Luke said that Jesus was conceived sometime in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Luke 1, 26, uh, 36. Five full months had passed, and Elizabeth was then in her sixth month. Hence, John the Baptist was probably born sometime around March 10th, 3 BCE. Jesus' birth would be near September, uh, near September uh, 3 BCE. We will soon see other astronomical date data that this is the only year that will satisfy all the facts. It must be admitted that it is impossible to arrive at the exact birth for either John or Jesus based on the priestly courses, yet the information provided by Luke helps us to pick an approximate period, approximate periods with some confidence. Two or three weeks each way would be the outset or outside limit. There is, however, a possibility that Luke was referred to Zechariah's late autumn session in the temple instead of the spring one. If so, we would have a six-month displacement for the time of John's and Jesus' birth. John would then have been born near the middle of September, and Jesus would have been born near uh, born early in the following March. Yet there are reasons for not accepting this. Luke said that Jesus was born at a time when his parents went to Bethlehem in response to Caesar's command for a census. Ramsey shows that considerable confidence can be placed in the belief that the general time of the period for the start of the census was from August to October, September period for Jesus' birth, we are suggesting fits this well. There are also other reasons. In late summer, a late summer, early autumn date for Jesus' birth also has also been suggested because Luke said the shepherds were tending their flocks at night at his nativity, Luke 2.8. Many have believed this precludes the wintertime birth either early winter on December 25th or a late winter in early March because it was to have been too cold for the flocks to be out in the open at that time. But this evidence is very problematic. In exceptional cold winters, this may have been the case, but in mild winters, sheep are often out of doors in Palestine all night. Since no one knows what kind of weather there was in Palestine the year of Jesus' birth, either severe or mild, this factor can be of no chronological value. Some have thought that Jesus was born in the period of the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacle because John 
in his gospel said that he, quote, tabernacle Greek among us, end of quote. Okay, he tabernacled among us. Okay, and he's supposed to be in Greek. John 1.14, the tabernacles in the year 3 BCE was from September 28th to, <clears throat> to October 3rd, uh, excuse me, uh, September 26th to October 3 BCE, but Jesus' birth at the time is not possible. Actually, there is clear proof that Jesus' birth could not have been at any of the three holy periods of the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. These have times. <clears throat> these were times when all the Jewish men were required by biblical law to be in Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 16:6, Yet Luke tells us that during the time of Jesus' nativity, quote, everyone went into his own country. End of quote. Luke 2:3. Besides. The Romans would not have selected the three primary feast seasons for a census when most of the Jews in Palestine were required to be in Jerusalem. The reason there was no room in the inn was not because the people were crowded into Jerusalem and the area for the ceremonial purposes, but as Luke tells us, they were there to be registered for the census. Also, since our new history shows that the census and the oaths of allegiance to Augustus, imagine that, we still do today, for his award for the, the Pater Petraea, <clears throat> were one and the same. It then makes sense that even Mary, who was in biblical law, able to bear a king, of the Jews would also be expected to swear that she and her offspring would remain loyal to the existing government. This And this census no doubt occurred in the late period of 3 BCE, as I will show in detail, not in late winter or early spring of 3 BCE. There are other reasons for placing Jesus' birth in September. It, also, it, is, uh, it is a powerful one, this is because the New Testament itself gives a precise chronological sign that identifies the exact date Jesus was born and within the period of that hour and a half of that, on that day. It is now time to look at this New Testament indication. <clears throat> An exact date can be picked. There are only three places in the New Testament that record, record events connected with the birth of Jesus. They are in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, and chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. The latter book has some information about Jesus' birth that should be considered, though it must be admitted that all data of the book of Revelation is highly symbolic Yet the figurative nature of the book may contain the very clue we need to precisely date the birth of Jesus. People of the first century were very prone to, the, to use astronomical signs as having bearing on historical and religious events. And of course it would because they didn't want to be distracted by television and the internet and everything else in life. Their entertainment, their visual show, or the stars. 
naturally that would be the case, wouldn't it? Because of this, the section about Jesus' birth and the book of Revelation may have been significantly related to a particular heavenly sign that Jesus had formally told his disciples to be aware of. In Luke 21, 11, let us look at Revelations 12, 1 through 5. It gives us precise indications as to the hour and day that, that Jesus was born. This should this section should be read carefully. <clears throat> Try to. Quote, And there was a great wonder, or sign, in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. She, bearing with the child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder, a sign in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and to cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for the, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Revelations 12, 1-5. The section just described in symbolic, certainly this could be hardly, this, this could hardly be a description of the Virgin Mary. This, quote, woman, in the quote, had the, had the heavens associated with her, the sun, the moon, and the twelve stars. John said that the display would was a wonder, a sign that it was in heaven. End quote. That what? Excuse me. What did he mean by the phrase quote, "in heaven"? End quote. The Bible speaks of three quote, heavens. End quote. The first is the heaven which the birds fly and all weather phenomena occurs. Jeremiah 4:25, First King 18:45. The second is that of the sun, moon, planet, and stars, Genesis 1, 17. And the third heaven is that where God lives, Second Corinthians 12, 2. Which of these heavens is meant? Is it meant? People of the first century would have had no difficulty interpreting the proper, quote, heaven, end of quote, that was intended by the Apostle Paul, the sun, moon, and stars are not located in our are not located in our atmosphere, where the birds and the clouds exist. They also are not found in heaven, where God has His abode, because John himself tells us that the sun and the moon are not needed in that region. In Revelation twenty one twenty three, the only quote heaven and a quote that is reasonable is that uh, where the sun, moon, and the twelve stars are located. The book of Genesis reveals that the celestial bodies were made by God to, to give signs. Genesis 1.14 Jewish opinion included among these signs the astronomical association between the sun and the moon, the planets, the stars, and constellations. There can hardly be a doubt that such astronomical signs as these are referred to the book of Revelation 
which these point uh, points in mind, we may have some interesting clues that will provide us with the exact time of Jesus' birth, which makes sense to me. Astronomy and the birth of Jesus. The essential factor interpreting the symbol of Revelations 12, 1 through 5, is identification of the woman. What is John signifying by mentioning her? This is much as certain. The woman in the first three verses is featured as being in heaven, and both the sun and the moon are associated with her. After the dragon casts, the dragon casts down a third of the stars of heaven. Revelations 12:4. The woman is then found on earth. Under verse 6 and 14. But the important factor is the birth of the man-child and the woman's relationship with the heavenly signs. While she symbolically, while she is symbolically in heaven, the first three verses of Revelation 12 shows the sun clothing her, the moon under her feet, and its twelve stars on her head. The quote birth and the quote of the Messiah is associated with the heavenly spectacle. Since some noted heavenly bodies are a part of the picture, it could well be that John intended the woman to be represented to represent the constellations that the two primary luminary trans, transfers transfers so two the two primary luminaries transfers and that she was part of the zodiacal the zodiacal or the zodiac symbol system Blah. Which gives headship to the sign. The twelve stars were quote a crown and a quote upon her head. Recall the interpreting astronomical sign dominated the thinking of most people in the first century, whether the people were Jews or Gentiles. Indeed, the word sign used by the author of the Book of Revelation to describe the, the, this, the celestial display was the same one used by the ancients to denote the zodiacal, the zodiacal, I don't know, I guess it was the zodiac, the zodiacal constellations. <clears throat> this is made clear when one looks closely at the text. Sign of the moon, and the sun and the moon are amidst air in line with the body of the, this woman. She could be in a symbolic way, a constellation located within the normal paths of the sun and the moon, the only sign of a woman which exists along uh, the ecliptic the track of the sun and its journey through the stars, is that of Virgo the Virgin. She occupies in body form a space of about 50 degrees along the ecliptic. Yeah, the ecliptic. The head of the woman actually bridges some 10 degrees into the previous sign of Leo, and her feet overlap about 10 degrees into the following sign of Libra, the scales. In the period of Jesus' birth, the sun entered in 
its annual course through the heavens into the head position of the woman about August 13 and ex- exited from her feet uh, about October 2nd. But the Apostle Paul saw the scene when the sun was clothing and adorning the woman. This surely indicates that the position of the sun in the vision was located somewhere mid-body to the woman, between the neck and the knees. The sun could hardly be said to clothe her if it were situated at her feet or near her feet. The sun clothed the woman. The only time of the year that the sun could be in a position to clothe the celestial woman called Virgo, that is, to be mid-body of her in the region where a pregnant woman carries uh, a child, is when the sun is located between about 150 to 170 degrees along the ecliptic. This clothing of the woman by the sun occurs for a 20 a period each year. This 20 degrees spread could indicate the general time when Jesus was born. In 3 BCE, the sun would have entered the celestial region about August 27th and exited about the September the 15th. If John in the book of Revelation is associating the birth of Jesus with the period of the sun was mid-bodied to the, this woman called Virgo. This is no doubt what he means. Then Jesus would have been born within that 20-day period from the point of the view of the Magi who were astrologers, of course, which would naturally be because that was their that was their video game. <clears throat> the stars. We keep forgetting that how uh, that was their reality television show. <laughs> Everybody in this probably was an astronomer at some point at different levels. It was absolute necessity. What else were you going to do anyways? What are you going to do at night? Didn't have television back then. Didn't even have books. What else are you going to do? What else are you going to study? You're going to study the stars, aren't you? Makes all the sense of the world to me. Uh, from the point of the view of magis who are astrologers, this would have been the only logical sign under which the Jewish Messiah might be born, especially if he was to be born of a virgin. Even today, astrologers recognize the sign of Virgo is one of which has reference to the Messianic world ruler to be born from a virgin. This heavenly woman called Virgo is normally depicted as a virgin holding her right hand a green branch and her left hand a sprig of grain. In the Hebrew zodiac, she at first, in the time of David, denoted Ruth, who was gleaning in the fields of Boaz, she then later became the virgin when the prophecy in Isaiah 7:14 was given in the time of King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. This virgin held her her left hand 
a spring of grain. This was precisely where the bright star called Spisa is found. Indeed, the chief star of the constellation of Virgo is Spisa. The Spice Girls. <clears throat> Bollinger, in his book, The Witness of the Stars, on page 29-34, said that the word Spisa has, through the Arabic, uh, the meaning, the branch, and that its symbol symbolically refers to Jesus, who was perfectly called the branch. Zedekiah 3.8 through 6.12 in Bollinger. And Sessa, in his book, The Gospel of the Stars, maintains that the sign of Virgo designates the heavenly witnesses, witness of the birth of Messiah, Jesus. They saw the Virgo, so that Virgo should actually begin the zodiacal sign which gives the story of the Messiah. This may be, the Apostle John may have given the same indication as far as the first full sign of the Zodiac is concerned. He depicted the woman in Revelation as having a crown of 12 stars on her head. This could, have, uh, well, could well show that the woman Virgo and the constellation uh, of the headship for all the 12 signs the head position of Virgo is located within the last 10 degrees of Leo. It is, or it was, in this very region where the story of the career of the Messiah would begin that Bolling, Bollinger and Sess, Swiss, it's a Sussy, Swiss referred to. Thus, the story of Jesus and his mission on earth uh, related by these heavenly symbols should logically begin with his birth from a virgin and conclude with him being crowned the king and the final sign of Leo, the lion, with, it, with its chief star being Regulus, Regulus, the king star. This is no doubt what the Apostle John was trying to show, though the symbol found in Revelation 12, it's got a drawing with diagram of what the you know, Leo and the Virgin, the Virgo would look like. And all that. The birth of the this child in Revelation 12, whom John identified as Jesus, should have occurred while the sun was clothing the woman. Then the sun was mid-body to Virgo. Uh, this period of time and 3 BC covered two day, 20 days, from August 27 to September 15th. If Jesus were born within that 20-day period, it would fit most remarkably with the testimony of Luke, a relative to the birth of John the Baptist and the eighth course of Abijah. Indeed, the chronological indication associated with the priestly course of Abijah places Jesus' birth exactly within this period, but there is a way to arrive to at a much closer time for Jesus' birth than a simple 20-day period. The position of the moon on John's vision actually pinpoints the nativity to within a day, even to within a period of an hour and a half, within 90 minutes of that day. That may appear an observed assessment on the surface, 
but it is quite quite possible. I guess you probably put this on in case I run over batteries. It's starting to get good now, so. Okay, the key is the moon. Of course, again, it's the moon. <laughs> The apostle said it was located under her feet, and the quote, what does the word under signify in this case? Does it mean the woman uh, of the vision was standing on the moon when John observed it, or does it mean her feet were positioned slightly above the moon? John does not tell us. This, however, it is not a major consequence in using the location of the moon, to answer our question because it would only involve the difference of a degree or two. The moon travels about 12 degrees a day and its course through the heavens. This motion of one to two degrees by the moon represents the, on the earth a period of only two to four hours. This difference is no problem in determining the time of Jesus' birth. What is vital, however, is that it shows the moon as a new moon. The precise position of the moon is important. Now, note this period. Since the feet of Virgo, the Virgin represents the last seven degrees of the constellation, and the time that Jesus would have been between uh, about... 180 to 187 degrees along the ecliptic. The moon has been positioned somewhere under the 7 degree arc to satisfy the descriptions of the Revelation 12. Can you imagine how smart these people must have been about came to astronomy back in the day? Especially those who lived in the Middle East uh, 2,000 years ago, you know, 100 years ago, I mean, 300 years ago. Um, you know, this is what they used to navigate. This is what their entertainment was. They didn't have television. What else would you do at night besides make babies is uh, um, study the stars. I imagine most people were quite good at astronomy. I think we've, we've been so disconnected from our reality. They've done such a masterful job. You know, we're staring at screens, a television screen, a computer screen, whatever. Um, that we just, how many people have even bothered to even look at the moon today, or tonight, or can even, you know, because of the chemtrails, etc. I mean, that was their entertainment at night. For most people, it was studying the stars, learning them. I imagine they got really good at it. And it probably meant a lot more than you and I ever could imagine. So where was that? Let's see. So the ecliptic, the moon has to be in a position somewhere under the seven degree arch to satisfy the description of Revelation 12. But the moon also has to be in the exact location when the sun is mid-body in the Virgo. In the year 3 BC, these two factors came to precise agreement for about an hour and a half, as observed from the Palestine and Patmos. And the twilight period is September the 11th. In 
now we know why the Satanists and the Luciferians chose September 11th to do their dirty deeds in New York, to start their Third World War. A mockery of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, it took two hours and, and a half to get to this point in <laughs> the show. But I guess you have to build up the foundation to make the claim, don't you? The relationship between the 6.15 period, or PM, sunset, and the light lasted until around 7.45 PM, moonset. This is the only day in the whole year that astronomical phenomena described the 12th chapter in Revelation could take place. This also shows one of other important point, the moon was in crescent phase. It was a was in crescent phase. It was a new moon day, at the start of the new lunar month. See plates one and two below, which shows earlier depiction of the celestial scene of Revelation 12, 1 through 3, and how the moon is shown to be in its crescent phase. The modern man in astronomical motion. By only people in the modern time who are not professional astronomers have little knowledge of solar, lunar, and planetary and stellar motions. The people of the first century up to the Industrial Revolution were well accustomed to them. Even people in little education were generally knowledgeable of the main motions of the astronomical bodies even more than most college-educated people today. When anyone of early times reads Revelation 12, 1 through 3, the astronomical relationship was realized at once. There is no doubt that the new moon displayed was being shown to them. And when the woman and the sign was in, interpreted as Virgo, the virgin, and the sun, mid-body, the virgin, it clearly saw. They clearly saw a moon, new moon day occurring sometime in late summer. The apostle Paul said that the heavenly relationship occurred at the time of Jesus' birth, and in 3 B.C.E., this exact combination of celestial factors happened just after sunset, only on one day of the year. It was September 11th. It could not have occurred in any other time of the year. Indeed, even one day before, on September 10th, the moon would have been located above the Virgin's feet with crescent, with a crescent not visible. While one day further, on September 12th, the moon had moved too far beyond the feet of the Virgin, at least 25 di uh, diameters of the moon east of her feet. Thus, only one day applies. That day was just after sunset on September 11th, 3 BCE. And it's shown all these diagrams and exactly so. And, um, well, I'll just finish this up. The exact day of Jesus' birth. The Apostle Paul is presenting to his readers something 
of profound significance in symbolic in a symbolic way. Revelations 12, 1-3 shows a new moon day that could only be observed from the earth just after sunset. The day was September 11th, and this fits well with Luke's description of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Recall that, quote, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And the angel said, Unto you is born this day, which began uh, at sundown in the city of David, a Savior, which is our Lord, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, verses 8 through 12. Jesus was born an early evening, and Revelation 12 shows it was a new moon day. What new moon day could this have been? The answer is most amazing. It is almost too amazing. September 11th, 3 BCE, was Tishrei 1 on the Jewish calendar. To Jewish people, this would have been a very profound occasion indeed. Trishai 1 is none other than the Jewish New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah, or as the Bible called it, the Day of Trumpets, Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 20, 26. Hmm. Okay, it was an important annual holiday of the Jews, but not one of the three annual festivals that required all Palestinians, Jews, to be in Jerusalem. What a significant day uh, for the appearance of the Messiah to arrive on earth from the Jewish point of view, a remarkable no other day of the year could astronomically fit Revelations 12, 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul, John is certainly showing forth an astronomical sign which answers precisely with the Jewish New Year Day. John would have realized the significance of this astronomical scene that he was describing. In the next chapter, I will show the symbolic and religious meaning of the New Year's Day as interpreted by the Jews, and consequently by the apostles and the early Christians, as it, it, relations, it relates to the Messiah and his kingship. Uh, the information may, be, may provide a better understanding why the early apostles of the first century and many Jews and Gentiles so quickly came to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Whatever the case, the historical evidence supports the nativity of Jesus in 3 B.C. and at the beginning of the Roman census, and if we use the astronomical indication of the book of Revelations, his birth would have occurred just after sundown on September 11th on Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Trumpets, the Jewish New Year Day for Governmental Affairs, there could hardly have been a better day in the ecclesiastical calendar for the Jews to introduce the Messiah to the world from a Jewish point of view. And no doubt this is what the Apostle John clearly intended to show by sign he recorded by the sign he recorded in Revelation twelve. And then it's got Some of the references, Josephus, life, one through three, 
And number two is the excellent description of the type of regional reckoning. Uh, C. Howard W. Uh, Honer's Chronicle, Chronological as, Aspects of Life of Christ, and 34 through 35. There's a lot of smart people out there. I'm glad they are, because I'm not one of them. It goes on to all these other ones. So, Anyways, there you go. Now, I was being kind of chastised today by somebody I care about very much, about this date and how it's not relevant. I think it's really relevant. I think it's really relevant to what we're experiencing. It's all part of the spiritual warfare that's going on. I think that the reason why the Luciferians and the Satanists that were controllers were chose September 11th is because they knew this. Anybody who, you know, they know the truth of Christ better than the rest of us. They focus on it more than anybody else. Because they don't want you to know the truth about Jesus Christ. They really don't. They want you to be trapped some way or the other. And religion are one of their many distractions out there. You know, one of the things I think about too with these great empires where they need they have need to have great endeavors, conquests that modify the people. And uh, it comes to the NASA and the the space um, hoax that's going on out there. You know, they've never been to the moon, and they can't go anywhere. They can't get past the firmament, firmament thing, or etc. So, I guess they need to ramp. They're going to be ramping things up here. So, uh, uh, the only thing I could think was part of this uh, flat Earth thing that's going on the year of the flat Earth is they're using it as a, as a distraction because they don't worry about it because there's like a handful of us are going to figure this out. But we're going to figure out too late to do anything about it anyway. But it's all fun to learn this stuff. And what's really cool about the whole thing is it just proves how wonderful God is and how we're hoping Jesus Christ is not in vain. They'll try to make it that way, try to convince you that it's all garbage. But that's not the case. So I hope so. I hope Shadagul finally heard she heard it. <laughs> it took a long time to figure it out. So it's extremely important, in my opinion. To recognize that because remember, spiritual always overrides the temporal. So. And you know, we now we go back to uh, the September, uh, December twenty fifth. That you know, the Magi, they finally came. So and see Jesus. Jesus would have been what about three months old, which would make sense. Over three months old, three months and two weeks. I wonder what that turns out to be. Or a number that is. So, anyways, um, I think it was pretty cool. And I, and you know what? I'll probably mention it numerous times in my show because it is relevant. So, I think um, the guy did a great job. Um, once again, the book. First of all, thank you to. Think of the guys over there at thinkeverybeaten.com because they still have that. Thank you, Keith, for uh, you know, introducing us to it. Um, and the name of this is the book is uh, The Star of Bethlehem, The Star That Astonished the World by Ernest L. Martin. And um, you can find it on thinkeverybeaten.com and Amalek Files 
And let me go back here to show you where you can find it in case anybody wants to hear me. They can remember this. Re- rewind this stuff. I don't but anyways, you'll find it. Um, boom, boom, boom. <sighs> so, yeah. You'll find it on Keith's interview file, an AMLIC file number five with Ronald Lee Clacton. I hope he was a great place in heaven for him. Sounds like he had a hard time in life here. Um, on the genuine beginning of the new millennium. That's just really fascinating. And it is about 9-11, um, September 11, 2001, the genuine beginning of the new millennium. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of things here to talk about, so. But back to this, you look at the Ernest Martin's Star of Bethlehem, the star that astonished the world. And somewhere in there in the audio, it talks about the temple and how freaking big the thing was. I guess part of it was just like, see, we have to go to introduction. No, let's go here. See if it's worth our time. Who? Star Question of Gaius Caesar, Gaius Caesar, banishment of Julia. I got to figure out where that is. It's somewhere in here. Um, <clears throat> in one of his interviews, I believe it was, and they talk about. Um, You can download this stuff to MP3 and it's like somebody uh, listened to Charles Corders reading this book too as well. Um, somewhere in there it talks about the temple. How weird it is! I mean, it, it was weird. It was a huge monstrosity. If I got my, if I got the number right, which I'm, I, and I don't quote me on it, but I think it's like 40 stories tall. I one. <laughs> I guess you can see it for miles and miles. So. We're talking about the second temple here now. I don't know if I got that number right. If it was 40 or 30. It was a big building. It was the biggest building around. So, and so, let's put it this way: he gives the argument that what we, if anybody's paid any attention to what the Old Testament temple was, that it probably wasn't what they're saying. So, eh, whatever. So, there you go. Time of Jesus' birth, Mayo Clinton, September the 11th. That's what we'll do. 3 B.C. God bless and take care. Anybody's going to listen to this later on today. Um, we'll have, uh, once again, the Morgel, huh? and, and he's, he's a smart, witty guy. He's got his act together. I don't agree with him on how he sees the world, but that doesn't matter. The important thing, what I, mean, what I should say, I agree with him that the world's flat and his, what, how way he presents it as understanding science. But I don't agree with everything he says, but that doesn't matter. And I'm talking more about the, what the political structure is and the world structure as far as man. That just curious, and they might be wrong, so. But I'm really looking forward to listening to him, talk to him. Um, he's a smart guy. He's the one that really it's helped me kind of make, make click. After listening to guys like Jaron and 
Mark Sargent. When I heard Miguel, Don Miguel, it was like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about, and I wouldn't want to debate him <laughs> if I was still a, a baller, a round earther. So, anyways, God bless and take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.